This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Just like the Dr. Phil world, initially people looked at me and were like, who's Coach Mike? Yeah. And they're like... Why isn't Dr. Phil help them? Why do you need Mike Bear? And then I, you know, I'll sometimes read the comments and people would be like, Mike Bear looks stoned. <laughs> that guy, I don't know about Coach Mike. He's a little creepy to me. Like, you know, and they at first, like the the fans of the show just like like were destroying me. My imposter syndrome, despite the success that I'd had inside of this entrepreneur space, was high at the beginning because we were just failing on an hourly basis. You did not expect to get divorced. The person says, I no longer wanna be married to you. If I was in your shoes, I would be desperately trying to get them to go, no, you still wanna marry me. Oh yeah, and I was definitely that person, Mm. like begging. It's the worst feeling. Yeah. Welcome back to Always Evolving, where we are always evolving, because if we don't, the world around us kind of just forces us to do it or slaps us across the face, and so we kind of have to either grow or go. Tony Durex is here with me running the audio and video, and my guest today, it's my first time meeting him, although we've had several communications Um, I gave him an endorsement for his first book, which was fantastic. He has another book that's out called Built Through Courage. Dave Hollis, how are you? I'm well, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm uh, excited to talk to you. I am excited, too. You I mean, like I've said this before, but like you're a person who I felt like I already knew before I got to know you, whether it was through your work or just the kind of the way that I think you present, it's like, yeah, welcome. You're going to get all of me. You're not going to like every single bit, but you'll like most of it. And I'm here. And I, there's been depth, of course, to like that first impression. But you have always just been a very inviting influence in my life. And I appreciate you, brother. You got it, man. You got it. And you so to, to explain a little bit of your backstory. And then we'll get into the details and then we'll get into the book. You um, were a Disney executive and you had a huge job at Disney. And you also uh, reached a point where you decided at the time, your wife at the time became pretty much the biggest self-help selling author of like the last five years, I would say. Yeah. We crushed it, Rachel Hollis. Yep. And the book, I remember when Best Self came out, I had the biggest promotion, right? I had Dr. Phil, I was a co-host of the TV show, The Talk for a week. 
And her book had already been out for like a year. And I couldn't even come close to competing. I made New York Times, but she was like, that book made it for over a, a year. A year at number one. I mean, it was it was bonkers. Bonkers, right? Yeah. And at what point did you decide, okay, I'm going to leave Disney and pursue this other thing that is the Hollis company at that time? Yeah, so... I had been at Disney, I, I had, 17 years was my total run. The last seven, I was head of sales. And about three years into that last assignment, great job, president of distribution, putting movies for Marvel, Lucas, Pixar, and Disney into theaters around the world, great job. Uh, but about three years in, there was something interesting happening in it coinciding with my 40th birthday and some bigger existential questions that were coming up around, why the heck am I here? Why does it feel like uh, I'm not in a position to have to use every one of the gifts I know I've been given? Mm -hmm. What is the deal with not having this job or title or the money that comes with it or access that it comes with not feel the way that I was promised it might when Did I- Did you have a moment here? or was it more like a steady- so there were two interesting things that happened. One, right around this 40th birthday, I'm feeling a funk stuck. It feels like like midlife thing is starting to happen. And Tony, this is what's going to happen when you get older. Get ready, Tony. Yeah, you're no longer going to be doing audio and video. You're going to suddenly be deciding like, fuck it, I'm going to become a life coach. Yeah, you're going to decide to buy an old Bronco and you're going to go through the change of wondering why you're here and now pursuing something that's more meaningful. But yeah, so. my backyard ritual with my three boys at the time who are now 14, 13 and nine at the time they're nine, seven and four. And we, every time we got a chance, we're sitting in the backyard, play this game, ask dad anything most of the time. Cause they're boys. It's gross stuff. It's just, you know, they want to know all the things that they're not supposed to know, kind of giggle and be embarrassed. And my middle son asks a pretty benign question. What are you most afraid of? And as much as he's looking for tarantulas or scorpions out of my mouth falls unexpected in my on my side, not living up to my potential. Hmm. So this thing that was living in the recesses of my being now has come out. It's now conscious. I can see it, can't unsee it. And because I've now spoken out loud my greatest fear, I also then in that real time moment have this recognition that I am living into my greatest fear by staying inside of this job that though from the outside world, it is everyone else's dream job. I know that I'm getting straight A grades for tests that I don't have to study for mm -hmm. because, and by the way, not like, I mean, I think I was good at the job, but it wasn't really a, a reflection of me so much as it was the greatest leadership in the business, the best filmmakers, the greatest collection of intellectual property in the history of Hollywood creating leverage, right? Like after the acquisitions of Marvel and Lucas, I could, as the head of sales, ask the movie companies, the, the Cinemarks and AMCs and Regals of the world to pay almost anything to take a Star Wars or Avengers movie because they needed those movies like they needed oxygen. Mm. And so because of this conundrum, hey, I'm at this midlife moment where I'm asking these questions of why the heck I'm here and what my legacy is going to mean or why I, you know, how I'm going to best use this potential that I now in this spa moment recognize I'm not using. It feels like there's urgency. That's the first big thing. And the second big thing, and this is going to be like, get out the smallest violin in the entire world. There's a likelihood this will sound a little tone deaf. I want you to kind of just bear with me for a second though. 
I was handed a contract to extend my time at the Walt Disney Company. Mm -hmm. And so the like that feeling that was like two years prior to this contract being placed in front of me, the contract comes and it's a four year extension. And I get with like job insecurity being what it is and the uncertainty of COVID, like, yeah. like most people would do anything for the guarantee of work. And yet for me signing that piece of paper in a season where I already knew that I wasn't being challenged, I was not growing in the absence of growth is death. I was in a dying state. I was not always evolving. I was devolving in many ways with coping mechanisms and other thing into the worst version of myself. And now it felt like I just signed a piece of paper that would accelerate the de-evolution of me as my best. And so that signing combined with the two years of mediocrity that had mm -hmm. preceded it, where I, again, was still getting recognized as having set every record in Hollywood and literally, I mean, every record in the movie business, it, it was contrast inversely to the way I felt about myself when I was by myself. Mm. And so I and do you think that that taste of what it was came because at the time your wife, Rachel was so immersed in self-help that you were also getting some hearing conversations around purpose and yeah. meaning. And so what's interesting is like timeline wise, she had definitely immersed herself in personal development, but had not yet released Girl, Wash Your Face. Got it. So she's going to Tony Robbins conferences. She's getting up earlier. She's doing all the things that I now do. But at the time, I begrudgingly was watching because it felt like she just had wiring that was different than mine. And I felt funky while she was thriving. And at a certain point, that kind of begrudgingness gave way to curiosity. Mm. And so it was like, all right, there has to be something in this soup. I guess I got to try it. Let me also go to this conference. Let me, you know, like figure out if there may be something. What was your first conference? It was uh, Unleash the Power Within. And I did not want to go. And it was transformative. Really? Oh, yeah, for sure. And it, yeah, it, I've never been to one of his events. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, there's plenty of stuff that I, you know, probably didn't, it wasn't for me. It didn't like sure. really work for me. But there were in a handful of the exercises, ways that I was able to see stories that I was believing about myself that once I realized they were bullshit, it was like, oh, I can be, I'm now liberated from this for the rest of my life. And I would not have been given the blessing of the truth if not for the framework of the exercise that revealed it. And right. so I was, I was super grateful for that. But I also had just historically been a little more skeptical of self-help generally. I'd associated people who needed self-help as not being good or enough already. And so I never wanted to even have to raise my hand Did you to feel suggest. like it was kind of like Charles? Was it charlatans like? Oh yeah, snake oil. promising snake oil. Oh yeah, for like, sure. Like what the, you know, people basically, and then it does exist, right? Like yeah, it does exist. Um, but at first, it went from you kind of being like, "This is kind of bullshit," to you getting curious, to then you engaging with it and going, "Oh, huh." There's something here. And my engaging with it also was happening in some real time observations from the work that my then wife was doing in 
showing up consistently for a community where she was taking some of her own observations in her own personal development journey and bringing them to a group of people who maybe themselves had not experienced it before. And I got to see the notes of people, primarily women, saying, my goodness, I had a breakthrough. This thing actually works. Who knew? And some of that evidence was inviting me to see if it might also work and, for and me. And as, as that company and that brand was building, her brand, and you had left Disney, then I imagine it was like a family business of sorts, right? For, oh, for, well, for sure. What's interesting is, so I read the draft version of Girl, Wash Your Face just before I made the decision to leave. So there was something in, oh, there's something here. I had no, no one could have predicted that it would be a black swan a book. Yeah, unreal. I mean, Five million copies in the first year is ridiculous. No, I, like, it, I, it's, 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 it sold more than any self-help book that I can remember. Oh, yeah. No, but so no one could have predicted it. And yet there's still in that first reading was something where I could say, oh, this is going to connect because there is vulnerability and people will see themselves in these stories. And it's interesting. And in that interesting becomes provocative for you to have your own breakthroughs, even if you just want to laugh a little bit at some of the storytelling, whatever it might be. So I make the decision to go and I thought, hey, I'm going to come in and we will run this business together. And I have the clarity now to recognize that I was coming in to help run her business. It was harder for it. It was not so much our business. And that's not a slight yeah. against her. It was her vision. It was her dream. It was a thing that she'd been for a decade's worth of time working on. And while I knew I had some operational things as the more practical, the integrator of the business that could come alongside the visionary that might in that combo help us scale. And we did. It was still me trying to figure out the how of her what. And so, yeah, it was a family business, but it was also her business. It was also it was a family business, but it was her as the primary driver for almost everything that was created until I make the pivot towards the end to get into writing my own books and doing my own coaching. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And, and when you decided in that world, because I think a lot of people, and I've noticed this sometimes, you know, I'm in the Dr. Phil world, right? Yeah. So Dr. Phil is this iconic number one daytime talk show. We just celebrated the 20th season. Oh. You know, imagine having 20 seasons on television, right? Like, and being number one on season 20. <laughs> so wild. It's wild. So wild. And he's, and he's on an island and he's, he does his thing and, and, when you're in, the, I'm when I'm in that world, it's like, and I'm so grateful, you know, that I get to work it. But he's the icon, right? And I'm going into this world and trying to provide any solution, you know. Be, you know, we're men, and I don't know about for you, but it's almost like, how can I be of service? How can I create some value? Yeah. How can I help you? 
Um, and I have to imagine it's kind of similar by the time you go in, it's different because it's your wife, but you're going into a world where she's iconic. And you had, just like the Dr. Phil world, initially people looked at me and were like, who's coach Mike? Yeah. And they're like, why isn't Dr. Phil help them? Why do you need Mike Bear? And then I, you know, I'll sometimes read the comments and people would be like, Mike Bear looks stone. <laughs> that guy, I don't know about Coach Mike. He's a little creepy to me. Like, you know, and they at first, like the the fans of the show just like like were destroying me. And then over time, uh some have like really fallen in love with like my message and who I am. Did you find when you initially entered the self-help world at such a high level? Yeah. Right. Because I entered at a high level on TV in self-help in terms of power with self-help and being around essentially someone who had a big base, like a female Tony Robbins. Did you feel insecure? Did you feel like people were like, what's Dave doing here? Yeah. Well, I definitely. So the first part for me was I had all the success. <laughs> inside of a corporate space where mm -hmm. I built this great career and worked at a few places prior to it where I'd had success. And I got into this entrepreneur's game thinking, oh, the things that worked when I was leading 72 countries worth of leaders and driving record business are going to work here in this small business. And that was ridiculous. There, like there was a, a very few things that had perfect application from old world to new world. The biggest of them was I had a team at Disney that had a nose for smoke. Like they could sniff out the thing that would tell you where fire could erupt. And that nose for smoke usually had them preemptively grabbing the extinguisher, putting it out. And most of the reports that I was getting were, we took care of this thing before it became a thing. All is good. Like, all right, fantastic. Go back to work. We'll see you. Let me know if you smell smoke again. Right. And I got into this new environment and none of us had a nose for smoke because none of us had ever been anywhere near the kind of fires that were coming up in this area. Like we were in a part of the forest we'd never walked through. How could we know whether there was a hill or a slippery spot or something you could step in? We had no concept. And so the frequency of fires, forget mm -hmm. smoke, but fires had me really questioning, oh man, am I cut out for this? Like my imposter syndrome, despite the success that I'd had inside of this entrepreneur space was high at the beginning because we were just failing on an hourly basis. Now I can see in the aftermath of what was a lot of success and a lot of scaling in a short period of time, every time we made a mistake, it was Intel. We just were being told, here's the better way to do it. Here's a better system or process. Here's a different kind of consumer proposition you need to consider. And so there was a lot of good that came from those failures, but it was actually a conversation with John Maxwell, who had Rachel speaking at one of her event, one of his events, where I'm kind of like bemoaning the fact that I'm having these feelings and that entrepreneurship is hard and in a like storied kind of godfather of leadership ways, like, look, you can either have consecutive days that are great or you can run a small business, but you can't have both because right. the price of entry for running a small business is you're going to have a problem come up on a frequency that's different than what you've previously experienced. It's normal. Mm. And in normalizing it, it allowed me to give myself some grace and appreciate. That what this was, was your first talk like that you gave on a stage in terms of self-help? What was that like for you? So what's interesting, because this is the second part, and this is more about like coming in and being kind of near Rachel's proximity, shadow, whatever it might be. Like at the beginning, 
I, I mean, like I have changed so much in the last three, four years of my life. So much as a person who I would say was more fixed mindset oriented and has struggled with motivation, has given into my coping mechanisms and like just hasn't really been someone who would drink out of the Kool-Aid bottle of anything inside of self-help. I was not speaking the vernacular. I was not able. So I was playing a role in, in a lot of ways, both in that first speech that I gave on personal development, but also as like the counter to Rachel's, like Rachel was the straight man. Here's all the good that comes out of personal development. And I tended to be, and here's how I messed it up. Or mm. here's how I, in not thinking these ways, or here's how I, in right. not being motivated like her. And what's interesting is like in trying to create something of this empathy bridge to an audience who could relate to my wiring, it was great because some people were super inspired and motivated by Rachel, but either were like her, but more often than not weren't and wanted to be. And a lot of people were like, man, I can relate to Dave struggling with motivation or being more fixed mindset oriented or like having some skepticism around around this thing. What was interesting, I think for me, though, is like, I think I ended up playing that role almost to the expense of some of my own growth in personal development, because I kept talking about who I'd been or how I'd gotten in my own way. My first book was called Get Out of Your Own Way. And it was a little bit of a, I don't want to say it was self-fulfilling prophecy-esque, but like there was something that was like, I can't be the sick doctor, you know, like no one wants to come to see a sick doctor. I want to be able to also talk about how I've experienced growth or how I'm pursuing. Yeah, so it sounds like you, you kind of um, initially presented yourself as like, look, I'm not the biggest expert, even though like you've lived a life and you kind of, um, had a uh, kind of uh, how to describe it? It's like a uh, naive humility. Like yeah. I don't know what I'm doing, you know. But that is a lot of people do feel like they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, um, and they can certainly feel that way when there's someone who's been doing it for ten years. Yeah, and well, I think to what's interesting too. Like for us, we I, I was trying to because. Her work was driving the business and we were trying to continue to serve people as well as we possibly could. And she was the one creating the resources. I was cheerleader first, but also I attempted to be at the expense, to be honest, of some of the intimacy that we needed in our relationship, deferent to her way, her thinking, her, like if she had an ideology, I tended to just be like, yes, that, it, that that's the thing that we all should believe in instead of developing something of my own. I think part of just even like back to the, like, you know, was it a family business, our company versus her company? I had this recognition that I did not appreciate at the beginning, which was, I thought I was leaving Disney to pursue my dream. And now I had convinced myself that in the absence of fulfillment and not using my potential, that impact was going to be the ticket to actually having my dreams come true, finding a way to feel fulfilled or closer to purpose. And I only realized after the fact that, no, I was actually chasing her dream mm. and that you have to be really careful because I think there's a temptation that a lot of us end up having, whether it's people pleasing or otherwise, to to try and show up for who someone else that you love or crave love from hopes that you might be. 
But if you're sailing towards someone else's dream, you're never going to reach a destination that actually has you feeling fulfilled or, well, or close to purpose. Yeah. And, and when it's uh, so together all the time, you know, um, my, my brother's a coach, his wife and him, you know, they'll put on seminars and workshops, but it's really, it's, it's, he's, he's the one doing all this. She's behind the scenes. She's not looking to be on stage. She's not looking to, and I think, um, it, it becomes challenging. I imagine because as a personal brand that you're putting out into the world, um, you want to feel free and without limitations and to talk about what you want to talk about and be passionate about what you want to be passionate about. And I have to imagine that there can start to be some like constraints when you're married and, and that's with any business, especially when you're a personal brand. Yeah. You know? Well, I think we didn't have like, there wasn't a clear line where work ended and married life began because it, it especially at the beginning of the business, like we moved to Texas with four people. We had a team of 65 within 18 months. And like, there was a lot of good. Yeah, you guys were like interviewing Joe Biden on stage. <laughs> like that's how powerful and big it was. And then the, it ended up where you, you came out with a book. It was a New York times bestseller. People, uh, you know, your following grew immensely. And then all of a sudden you posted and you said, I'm getting a divorce. Or someone said, I'm getting a divorce. Yeah. And you're so open. I think way more than me, right? Like you'll, you'll literally talk about whatever on social media, <laughs> you'll be riffing about whatever, like you, you just literally are just like, you'll be, I, I remember one time I saw you running and you're like running with the camera talking and you know, everyone has their own relationship and style to it, but so many people were in your world. Yeah. I mean, I imagine you had an email list of hundreds of thousands of people who all knew you and your wife and they were all looking towards you and your wife and admiring what you had and going, that's what we want. Goals. I wish my husband was like Dave. Yeah. And then you announce you're getting a divorce. Yeah. Rug pull. Yeah. It, so it's, you know, whether it's built through courage or any of the work that I'm doing, I've talked a lot about this idea that there's um, change is a constant in life, but there's the change that you choose and the change that chooses you. Right. Leaving Disney was massive change, right? But I, you chose it. I chose that change. And so I felt like I had a little bit more a handle in the engineering of the outcome in whatever the outcome ended up being, because it was something that I activated and, and took uh, the first step with in this Change chose me, right? We're having what I thought to be a good run inside of quarantine. We've had the successful business. We're trying to find our way actually in, in, in like the little window of time that precedes us having a conversation about divorce, we were actually untangling some of how we were spending as much time together at work because it was, there was definitely a strain that the amount of time we were spending and the way that we had, I mean, we did this morning show every day for two and a half years. And it's one had an immense following and great reach, but also there was a tax that came in a tax, A-T-A-X, not a tax, um, that came as a part of that on our relationship. It, it just created strain. Um, but I 
man, did not expect that there was an opportunity for us to not maintain being married for the rest of our life. I, before we even started recording, I said this, like, there's a part of me that wishes that like there was a big thing that happened because at least it would have made more sense to me. And I think in part, because it was just a thousand little things. You did not expect it. Did not expect it. You did not expect. So you did not expect to get divorced. The person says, I no longer want to be married to you. If I was in your shoes, I would be desperately trying to get them to go, no, you still want to marry me. Oh, yeah. And I was definitely that person, mm. like, begging. It's the worst feeling. Yeah. Having your heart broken is just the shittiest, awful. I mean, I don't know what's worse. Someone saying they don't want to be with you or if they're cheating on you. I mean, Tony, for you, would you rather have someone say, I don't want to be with you anymore? Or would you rather have them say, I'm cheating on you? Why would you ask me a question like that? That's <laughs> hard. What's I don't know. I, don't I know. mean, I would probably, I don't know. I think I would say. Um, God, it would suck to be cheated on too. Yeah. I would say, just tell me you don't want to be with me. Tell me you don't want to be just with tell me. Tell yeah. me you don't want to be but with me. But then you're like, you've been with me all this time. You're basically telling me that I'm not enough. If you're divorcing me and you know all of my vulnerabilities and we've been together so long that I can't imagine the feeling, Dave. Here's the crazy thing. So end of 2019, I have this very bold declaration that 2020 is going to be the best year of my life. Declaration. Declaration in front of the entire team at a Christmas party. It's like the universe was presenting. The, the universe knows that I've waited until my 45th year on the on the planet to have my best. I just peered, I picture these drums yep. even. It's energy. And whether I'm the one that has some responsibility for pandemic or anything else, I don't know. I hate to think that my declaration could have created the dumpster fire that all of us had to endure. But as it turned out, I didn't get a say in the conditions that would create my best year ever. Okay. It was without a doubt by a factor of a hundred times harder than the hardest year of my entire life. And also when I am at the last minute of my life and I'm looking back at what were the most formative, important years of my life, I am positive that 2020 will be at least in the top three most important years for having defined who I became and how I am remembered, how I'm eulogized at that funeral. That man was born in 2020, not in spite of the things that I went through, but because of them. So what's interesting is I would also answer the question. I would rather have someone come and tell me that they no longer want to be with me because as much as it was brutal, I mean, the hardest thing, hardest thing I've ever been through. I can now two years removed, I have an appreciation that this is a gift that saved my life. It is not something that I would have ever come to as a conclusion ever. I would have fought for the rest of my life to be married at the expense of me being the man that I was put on this planet to be. And so I just, I have such gratitude now for this event, creating a series of events in part because but how of did you get through the heartache of someone telling you, I want a divorce and you still want to be with them? What tool did you use so that you just didn't go through the biggest decline of your life? Yeah, well, the first tool I used was the tool that I used when I was at the worst part of my life, and that's alcohol. Like I drank everything I could find for that first 
72 hour window and it was miserable. And I hated myself because I was not making it better. I was not processing the things that I needed to process. I was trying to mute and get away from what felt like the worst. And I was, I just, it was not making it better. And I happened to, on the third day, <laughs> I go on this run and I happen to, of course, nothing happens by chance in, in this instance. I'm How the hell did you like, go on a run if you were drinking for three days? Uh, I got up knowing that I needed to actually- Get this out of my system. Yeah, uh, to be honest, yeah. Because I still have four kids. Yeah. Because as much as- Did you go to a hotel? I begged, no, I locked myself in a room and close the door and, and turn off the lights. Did you smoke cigarettes or you just sat there and drank? Just sat there and I drank until I fell asleep. Mm -hmm. And it was, but like that's, it was the saddest version of me. And I was, you know, like Mike, but I, I, I get up on the third day and I'm like, I gotta get this out of my system. And it wasn't some like, I wish I could tell you like, oh, I had, no, I like, I, I just had to get up and do something different because the sustainability of that plan was not one. And despite, you know, like once the decision was made, it was made. It didn't matter how much begging it did mm. once. And that was, that was the trigger for, all right, acceptance. I got I to, I got to accept. I didn't want to accept it. So that first window was, I'm not going to accept. I'm going to cling to the thing that I've clung to before. I am going to mute. Then I was like, nope, this is not a sustainable plan. You've had, you've played this game before. This game didn't work out then. Mm. What makes you think it's going to work out now? So the, the next thing I had to do was try and cast a vision for what next might look like now that next wasn't going to look like what it was going to. And the first casualty outside of some identity stuff was my imagination. I had no ability to cast a vision for what next was. Mm. I've been handed this blank piece of paper. It's theoretically meant to be equal parts, terrifying and exhilarating. Like, hey, you can write anything on it. And I couldn't write anything on it because I was paralyzed by fear in a way that made my imagination inaccessible. So one of the first things I had to do was have a conversation with my fear. And that's where running became this conduit to connecting to fear. We're sitting on a rock after my run in with nature, in prayer and whatever, but like ultimately is, with I'm an open curious. notebook. What is for you the worst thing that someone can say to you when you're going through a divorce? I, well, the worst thing or most annoying the, to you, the, what's, the, the, the worst thing truly was from the person who had themselves not been divorced. It's going to, it's going to get better. Like, how do you know you have no personal experience with what this feels like? And I, I mean, it was, I can remember God bless her. My mother, she's, a, she's amazing. And she called and was trying to tell me how something good was going to come from it in the first like 24 hours. And I was like, I am not here for your encouraging call today. I You're just like, need to unless be, you bring another bottle of vodka. Yeah, yeah right? Like, <laughs> I need to be pissed and sad and and upset at God. Like, I, I, I will get to the place where I can dive into this thing that you're trying yeah. to have me access. Yeah. But not today. Please, please, not, not today. Uh, but for me, like, I started the like how do i fix my imagination problem by bringing the time horizon of what i was attempting to cast vision for wildly closer 
right? So instead of, oh, who do I want to be five years from now? Or who do I want to be one year from now? I was like, who do I want to try and be 90 days from now? What, what could I do in the next 30 days to try and actually create enough momentum to in 60 days be this far? And for me, it, it all ended up coming back around health and the five dimensions of health that if I understanding the subjective nature of the conditions I was in at that moment could cast a vision for where I wanted to be 90 days from now in my mental, emotional, physical, relational, and spiritual health. Were there one or two, maybe three things in each of those five dimensions that I could commit to that would allow me to create that inertia, that momentum to get out of what felt like stuck? And that's where you started your book, Built Through Courage, was from that point of having the courage to get back up uh-huh. and feel like you had no roadmap or what the hell am I doing? And just starting to put the pieces back together. Yeah. I right? mean, yeah. I mean, the, the, the reality is I think every one of us was created for reason, right? I think there's a purpose to our lives. I believe that there is a higher power. It doesn't have to be what I believe in, but there is something greater than us that in our creation had designed. Well, you live in Texas. It's got to be Jesus. Well, of course, but I'm just saying whether you believe in my Jesus or not, <laughs> no, I gotcha. right? But I, I believe that our creator had intention in mind when we were put here and that we have not just a responsibility, like a mandate to do what we can every day to honor that intention. And honoring that intention when things are going great is easy, mm -hmm. but honoring that intention when life decides to hand you a bad hand of cards or when change chooses you, it's a diagnosis or a job loss or a pandemic thing or a relationship ends, you get a choice. You're gonna lay down, you stay down, you're gonna get back up. The decision to get back up or keep going when that hard season shows up is an act of courage. Mm -hmm. And part of why it ends up being an act of courage is that we have a tendency to deify what we are familiar with. Like there is obviously the, the idea of a comfort zone. I call it a safe harbor in the book, but around that comfort zone, around the safe harbor on all sides is fear, just a moat but there is no drawbridge. And the only way to get to learning, the only way to get to growth, which exists outside of your comfort zone is to go through your fear. Mm -hmm. So for me, the reason why I couldn't cast a vision for what my life might look like, right? When my primary identity in my life was husband to Rachel, my secondary identity as an employee of the Hollis company, those things are now gone. Right. I meant to ask, who am I now that I'm not who I've been? I couldn't see it because the fear that surrounded what I had become familiar with was stronger than the courage that I had to cast that vision. Mm. And so it takes, it just, it takes courage. It takes courage in part because we have all grown up with some programming, right? You don't have to have something dramatic like divorce or diagnosis necessarily show up in your life, you have been told that there's a way to be, that this is the way good girls are or real men are or people who follow this kind of religious belief or whatever it might be. And those kind of beliefs or that kind of programming has in some ways defined 
our safe harbor, our comfort zone. And the decision to trust your intuition or listen to that voice of God or Glennon Doyle's knowing that is inside of you, right? Like to trust that voice and then follow what it says. Oh, you need to deviate from some of the things that programming has suggested you ought to do for the things you've been called to do. Mm. And so like for me, that decision to leave Disney, right? I left my career for my calling. It didn't make sense to most people. It was hard. I was scared. And it's a courage to ultimately do something that was difficult to explain to my parents or my colleagues, but that ultimately has delivered something in purpose because mm. of the change. You know, you it's similar to, um, so I got into being a counselor initially and, and helping alcoholics and drug addicts and everything in between because that's what I was really challenged with. And part of it is figuring out that I've realized so much in life is taking that pain and challenge and turning it. If you can turn it into inspiration, yeah, it creates so much healing and then it actually can be kind of fun and people want it because your story is extremely relatable. It's about unexpected loss and pain and how do you redefine who you are? How do you look at life and you talk about, you know, in, in Built Through Courage, you talk about like, who am I? Who am I without all of these other descriptions of Hollis Company or yeah. Rachel's husband? And how do you keep putting one foot in front of the other? And that is courageous. And it's... um that's where you know it's interesting with imposter syndrome because the impo and it's what actually irks you when people haven't experienced something and then they try to give advice yeah is you can't be a, an imposter if you've gone through something gone to the other side and you're going to teach and help people yeah and i want to ask just really quick so you've gone through a divorce what do you recommend or what's like a tip that you would tell someone or advice to someone who's going through a divorce that doesn't want to go through a divorce. It doesn't want to, you know, be in a divorce. Yeah. What would you recommend? To I mean, because this happens millions of times a year. Yeah. And you actually don't. That's a great question, Tony, because you don't really people don't really talk about it. Yeah. If someone finds themselves going through a divorce, the, the piece of advice that I would give first is normalize that the things you are feeling are part and parcel with this experience. Like this is it's unbelievably normal for you to feel the things that you're feeling. You need to create space and honor those feelings. You need to uh, become comfortable with grieving. Like it, it, you know, like that, that's the, that's the first thing. The second would be uh, it is a nonlinear process, right? Like as much as the chart does mm -hmm. go from bottom left to top, right uh, over time, you're going to have three great days followed by a bad one. And then three great weeks followed by a bad couple of days. And as much as at the beginning of my journey, I had a Cal Ripken S streak of consecutive days crying. I definitely had fewer crying days over time and then had less of a negative connotation to the experience until all of a sudden I could see how, man, I've become who I've become, not in spite of these things happening, but because mm. of them. Who are the best type of people that could be you were around during that period of time? So the, the, the most powerful piece of help came from 
people who were interested in walking alongside me without trying to convince me to feel or act or be a certain way. So Mm. like the, the pastor of the church I go to sent the same 11 word text every single day for the first eight weeks, 11 powerful words. What were they? What small piece of sadness can I hold for you today? Right. It was just this offer of solidarity. Mm. He wasn't saying you shouldn't feel this way or make sure you do this. It was, can I just walk alongside you and alleviate a little bit of this burden by acknowledging the burden exists? Thank you. Um, I had uh, a, a neighbor, Brady and his wife, Lynn, move into uh, the neighborhood just as this is all happening. And their their gift was their presence when I needed their presence, but also space when I needed space and not feeling uh, good or bad about the days where I was like, I can't, I can't do it today. I'm not interested, but it was also just barbecuing out back was cathartic. It was, it was this beautiful, wonderful thing. Um, and then like the last, I guess the last thing I would say, if you're like, especially at the very, very, very beginning, you know, normalize the feelings, make sure that you, you know, find a way to like become okay with the, the way that you're experiencing what you're experiencing. Uh, my 99 year old grandmother got to see her on this trip. Thanks Mike for the excuse to go and surprise grandma Lee. When I was very, very early on, we had this conversation where she asked how it was going and I gave her the answer that it was both right. That I, um, was sad, but I could still connect to hope that it was hard, but I could feel myself growing. And so like there, there is something in acknowledging that both can and will exist in this journey. Her response to that was was the piece of advice, and that is to the extent that you can find other people that are further along the journey that you are on, mm. the gift of their perspective or the gift of the experience that they've had will actually be something that you can connect to in borrowed hope. Right. So she at 99 has been through literally everything. Right. She's a veteran of war, a single mother of five, buried two husbands, lost a son to cancer, grandson by suicide. Like she's seen it all. And at 99, most of her friends are gone, dead. So she says, hey, I have been through a lot of very, very hard things. And the thing I can tell you with certainty is that I got through every single one of them. Mm. I didn't like having to get through them, but I got through them. Every time I came through them, I was better equipped to handle whatever hard thing would come next. I was stronger in some way. And so too will you be. And that like the gift of her perspective was a like almost a promise. Like, hey, you're going to get through this. Mm. Okay, great. And so I found that there were time and time again where I'm dating someone named Heidi. She's amazing. And part of how our conversation in this relationship began was my interest in having her on my podcast to talk about divorce. Now, as it turns out, she's about a year further ahead of me in her journey of divorce. When we got together to record the podcast, I was unable to utter a single sentence. I mean, it was blubbering and crying. We never recorded a single thing. But the gift of her perspective and her ability to, through that empathy bridge that she created with me, to say, oh, I remember when I was there, that first holiday that came up. Mm. I remember that. That was hard. There was something, again, in like, normalizing the feeling, but also in some ways she could be like a little bit of a a shaman, a sage of like, oh, just so you know, 
we're going to come around this turn up here. And this thing is going to happen that you are going to be um, not necessarily expecting, at least it was for me. So just be on the lookout. And so as, as something of a like expectations manager or uh, a little bit of a, a forewarning of like a, a coming storm, she was like a meteorologist in that way to say like, oh, there's a, a front yeah. moving on in on the coast. You got to be ready. Well, I think what makes your new book so powerful is it is such a uh, solution for someone who is going through unexpected loss, someone who feels lost, you know, someone who uh, is just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. Um, someone that needs to figure out how to pick up the pieces again, someone who needs to get after it and not just make excuses someone who has an uh kind of that knowing that's going on but they're not making any changes in their lives and this is a powerful book because it gives people a roadmap and opportunity for you to be their kind of shaman or their sherpa or what you know whatever we call it through that process and you've gone through it and you're still you know obviously always evolving every day yeah but i think it's um I really appreciate your honesty and your willingness to talk about these things. And I think a lot of men don't talk about these things, you know, and I think that uh, the advice and wisdom that you have is powerful. Well, I appreciate that. And I, it's interesting in, in dating again for the first time in 20 years, I, uh, we are playing these games cause it's long distance where we pick a card and we got to answer a thing so that we get to know each other. And, one of the recent card pulls was describe yourself in three words. And instead of three discrete words, my words were work in progress, always evolving. Right. And uh, it's interesting because work in progress for me as that person that previously was more fixed in their mindset mm. was an indictment. It was like, oh, you're not you're not there yet. You're not you haven't mastered it yet. And I think part of. What maybe differentiates me a little bit in the voice that I use on social or the way that I write in my books or um, I, I want to, yes, take you on this journey and hopefully be something of a shaman, if you will. But also um, you're going to get a lot of honesty in what ends up being very much a work in progress version of me that is still going to acknowledge the struggle that is a reflection of my humanity and the days that I don't get it right. I'm, pr I'm probably going to be honest about it in part because one of the most powerful things in what has been amazing transformation that I'm really proud of in the last handful of years has been taking the things that have been the primary sources of my shame and turning them into power mm -hmm. by owning the fact that I am doing what I can to overcome in a way that um, turns it into something that I have agency over and have control at least of like how I can do what I can in the next 24 hours to do my very best with it, even though I'm not going to get it right every single time. So, so where, where can people get the book? And then will you also um, let people know about your fitness? Yeah. 
program you've launched. Well, you can get the book literally anywhere the books are sold. Uh, when you do, there's a bunch of incentives on my website. So jump over to mrdavehollis.com forward slash book and make sure you get, there's a couple courses that I've created. There's a bunch of coaching you get access to uh, in exchange for your hard earned 15 or 20 bucks. I want to give you 500 bucks worth of goodies to yeah. say thank you. Um, but yeah, for me, part of that, like, what do I need in this season next 90 days conversation really pointed me into pushing myself physically and thinking differently about this connection to physical health and my mental and emotional health. And uh, it doesn't hurt that Heidi, who I'm in this relationship with, is a 20 year expert inside of the fitness personal development and fitness space. And um, so we've been doing uh, in real time, we're doing a 60 day fitness challenge, but we're going to do them on somewhat of a recurring basis because there is something beautiful that happens in the encouragement and accountability one, two punch that, you know, can come from being in a group of like-minded people, mm. pushing ourselves to redefine what we think ourselves capable of in pushing ourselves physically. I've just experienced over and over whether it was climbing a mountain or running a marathon, doing a triathlon, like every time I put myself into something that was wildly bigger than I thought I could accomplish physically, it's just bled into how I now think I can handle things differently on the mental and emotional side of my life. And where can they find this program? Because I know today even there's a call with over a thousand people and the community booming. And it's something that, you know, a lot of our listeners would want to be a part of how they yeah, so the, we're, the 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 current track that we're in is closed. We're going to do another one in January, but we're going to have information on social. So okay. uh, Real Heidi Powell is Heidi's handle. Mr. Dave Hollis is mine. Instagram is our platform of choice. So jump over there and check it out, or you can go to my site, mrdavehollis.com, and there's details there as well. All right. Well, Dave, thank you for coming in today. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you in person. And everyone should go check out his new book. I know that it is fantastic. I actually wrote uh, a testimonial for the book. Hopefully I'll be on his Amazon book page. Um, I was for his last book. I'm a big fan of Dave's work and also make sure to check out his fitness program. And uh, I'll be sending out all that information over our email. You can also text me at 310-984-1858. And until next time, Keep it magical. Bye-bye. This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horinige, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. The Always Evolving with Coach Mike Bear podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnoses, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professionals.